Hey guys, this is Crazy Juicy Love Entrepreneurial Series. I'm going to be talking with top CEOs, creators, top entrepreneurs, and they're going to be sharing their mistakes, tools, tips, and insights to get you to get out of your bed and have a career that you love. This is Crazy Juicy Love Entrepreneurial Series. So hey guys, so welcome back to Crazy Juicy Love, the Entrepreneur Series. I have a special guest, um, Ralph. He is the you the owner, right, of Home um, Qualified, Qualified, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, thank- go ahead. No. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm. I'm really happy that Anthony, you know, connected us and created this opportunity. So you know. I'm curious, like why real estate? Like what even got you to even try to, to get into this business, to really establish yourself in this business? Because I look at your website, it's like it's like gorgeous and Thank you. and all the things that you're doing. And I see you've been on you know CBS and um, CNB, CNBC and uh, HGTV. Like how did you like, I mean, talk to me, like how did you get into business and how did you even like build something to even be on those spots on television? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I got into the to the real estate. I'm really in the real estate finance. I'm on both sides, but more real estate finance in my career than, than actual selling real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into it um, right out of college. Like when I graduated, it was like uh, the the first the first or the second internet bubble. So there wasn't a lot of jobs out there besides sales jobs. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of <clears> kicking around looking for sales jobs. And uh, I had a friend that was in mortgages, and he said, "Come do mortgages. It's really easy. You can make a lot of money." I had a finance degree, so I was like, "All right, let me try this," even though I'm not much of a salesperson. And, you know, it was 2002, 2003. It was back when it was really, really easy to sell mortgages before, mm-hmm. you know, the, the crisis happened. Right. So I got in um, and, you know, I, I really advanced quickly. I, I did really well because it was a really hot industry. All you had to do is work hard. And I was able to really advance really quickly until about 07, 08, where the world came crashing down. Um, and it was, you know, that was... Uh, a crazy point in life. I literally lost everything almost overnight. Like within a within a couple of months, I was completely broke. Um, wow. And I was just it was it was a start over. It was it was it was a literal start over um, for me in my late twenties. So you know, we just uh, it's been a business that there's been some ups and downs in, but it's been really really good to me overall. And but you know, everything that happened happened for a reason. You know, the crash kind of made me reassess what my strategy was for my career and my life and my business. And I just really shifted gears having that experience to know what to do next oh wow so I'm, I'm curious of like like take me to the moment of like when that all came crashing down like you know like for someone who's out there you know listening who's at, like at the bottom and like don't know what to do so like yeah. what kind of mental spaces that you had to go through in order to like shift who you are being in the world and being in your life for yourself and like what strategies or things you put in place to build yourself back up. Sure. Um, you know, so some of it happened not, not by accident, but, but, you know, so at the moment where the, the market crashed and, and, you know, I'm sure everybody remembers even for people who are younger because it was such a drastic shift, like, you know, really overnight. And, um, I was living on Wall Street at the time and working at a Wall Street-based company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never forget, I was walking up the block to work that day and I got a phone call saying that 
um, that we were closing down and the stuff was shifting. And I was like, this can't be true. It's too far fetched to be true. Mm-hmm. And it, it really was true. <laughs> um, you know, so what, what I had, the mistakes I had made before is that I, I, I started with the company, the company I ended up closing was the company I started with. Um, and they, um, I didn't know anybody except for the people in the company. So for six or seven years, I worked at this company and I didn't know anybody else. I had no network, you know, because I had done well in the company. I was like, I don't have to go anywhere. I have to do anything. I just have to know people here. And then I lost my job literally overnight and all the people I work with lost their jobs. So mm-hmm. I knew nobody, I had nobody in the market. So I basically started over. And at that point I had accumulated a lot of debt, um, you know, through properties I owned and credit cards. I just wasn't living the right way in general. I wasn't being responsible at all financially. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, a penthouse apartment on Wall Street. I had a place in Florida. I had wow. two cars in the garage. I was living not check to check, but not far off it because I was just spending. Mm-hmm. And, and when I lost all of it, I had to start over and, being too prideful, which probably wasn't the smartest move at the time to just, you know, let all the debt go and just kind of um, start over. I, I, I basically went back to work as a salesperson in real estate and I just started working from the bottom again for about a third of the money and just worked my, literally dug myself out of debt over the next three or four years, just kind of wow. grinding. Um, you know, so again, in retrospect, I probably would have told the younger me, um, don't go declare bankruptcy, just give up the properties, clear yourself of the debt and start over. But at that moment, I didn't want to admit that I had failed and it, it wasn't mm. necessarily my fault, but I, I had managed myself the wrong way. So I just kind of worked my and dug my way out of it. But it really changed, subconsciously changed a lot of the strategies I had used previously, you know, when I started over again. Wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing to like really dig yourself out of that and like really in three years, Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just curious, like, you know, because debt can be such a daunting thing for a lot of people, especially as an entrepreneur. You know, I was, I met a guy, um, I, well, I, one of the um, events, this event yesterday, he was, this guy was talking about how, you know, he lost everything, his house got auctioned, they sold all his tools and he you know, because he had this uh, running thought that he was a failure that really stopped him from really getting back on his feet. So I'm just like, I'm just curious, like what was the mental space that you had to constantly live in in order for you to be on that grind for three years to like pay off that debt and to to really um, like create yourself or, or had a mentor, did you have a mentor? Like, you know, what tools did you use to like really make sure that you were on track? You know, when I think back on it, when I think back on it, um, as much as a freeing and empowering moment it's become, during it, when I think about it, it was dark. You know I mean? It was really, really a dark time. I was working 12, 13 hour days and it wasn't a friendly workplace. And I was just, you know, really killing myself to do it. And, um, Mm. you know, I think that my mentality then and today in some ways is really, really the same. That whether I have a bad day or a good day, a family problem, you know, whatever's going on, I just get up and go to work um, no matter what. You know, I always just get up and go to work. And the reason I, I feel that way is I feel like if I don't, I'm just going to make it worse. Mm. You know, there's, there's nothing good that's going to become with me sitting in, in a room and feeling bad for myself or not getting up and doing what I have to do. Like all I'm doing is delaying what I, I'm still going to have to do. it. I'm just delaying it. So. I think I took that mentality with it. Like, I just got to go to work. You know, I just got to get up and go to work. And every single day, no matter how bad it felt, I would just get myself in the grind of it. And uh, I would forget about it for a little while until I, you know, I had to look at my bills or I had to call them and shoot something off. But I would, you know, I would forget about it as I was just working. And I think work really took my mind off it. But at the same time, you know, even today, like, you know, no matter how successful I get, um, I'll never really 
you never really made it. There's always another level you can go to. Obviously, right. and there's a million. Other, there's a million other levels I could go to. So you know, I, I have bad days all the time still, and I think it's just a matter of getting myself up every single day and just going to work because I know when I don't, I'm only I'm, I'm just making it worse. Yeah, I, that's so interesting too. Like, there's always a different level of um, when you're pursuing something because it sounds like you you know you were very driven, you were very determination that like you know this situ this current situation doesn't define who you are, yeah. um, and you just push past it, you know. And, you know, something that you just said that, like, I'm sort of, you know, dealing with, like, you know, I told you before we started this, like, I'm, I'm in this, I'm coaching this program and I've been, you know, being this eruption, disruption inside the coaching body and the whole sure, participant. Yeah. And now I feel like I stepped into this new leadership of my own and it's, like, very daunting. I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, and then even one of my fellow coaches, she was like, you know, you should be an executive coach. That's like, oh, what, what? I don't even know what that that means. Like, who <laughs> I need to be, and then you know, like to even take on that responsibility at this new level. Now it's like it, it seems overwhelming. So I'm just curious too. Like when you, as you move from level to level, like how do you maintain like that mental space? Like, is it you have a team around you? Like, there's. Uh, um, like what keeps you sust or and sustain you? Sure. Um, to keep growing and keep achieving and actually like and being humble. Yeah, I mean, I think that I definitely have a team, and it definitely helps to have people that you can trust to delegate to. And you know, the people I have around me for my purposes, the best way that I, I work in that fashion is that I need people who are just consistent mm -hmm. um, and you know, humble themselves and really self-aware, but consistent more every single day. They don't have to be the greatest as long as they're consistent, and I can manage the variables. I think that's one portion of it, you know, and, and that really, really helps. And I think, you know, another portion of it is that, um, again, back to just kind of get up and do what I have to do every single day and always reaching for a new level. I, you know, I'm very competitive with myself and I just feel like I, I, I do always want to, I do always want to improve myself on, on a daily basis, but I, I really practice being more self-aware than everything, anything else. Like, you know, this is where I'm doing well, this is where I'm failing. Um, and when I feel like in a leadership position that, um, I'm questioning myself or it's becoming overwhelming. I just try to slow things down and I have routines every single day. Uh, you know, that I do, I, I'm boring in a way that I have the same routines every single day. Every single day I get up about, I'm an early guy. I get up about 4.30. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I spend about 30 minutes, like, um, like a little bit of meditation. And then I, I actually clean out my inbox um, of everything. So by like five o'clock, I'm like ready to go. And then I go to the gym for probably, you know, between an hour, an hour and a half um, to start my day. And that, you know, that really, you know, exercise has really been a huge function for me over my lifetime. And I've always been somebody who exercised, but I think it enables me, my body to handle and my mind to handle a lot more stress mm. um, and pressure because I'm physically um, fit for it. So, you know, that's how I start my day every single day, no matter what. And then I'm at my desk usually by 7, 7, 15, 7, 30. And I just kind of go through everything else I have to go through to set up my day. And the reason I, I get up so early and I do things so early is because it's my time. Um, you know, I have two young kids. They're going to be six and four. They're five and three right now. And I have, you know, probably a hundred people that work for me. Um, maybe a little bit more than that at this point. So, you know, by nine, nine thirty, ten o'clock, everybody's in gear and your phone's ringing and everything is starting. So between, you know, 4.30 and 9 a.m., it's really my own time to do what I have to do. And you know, it's, it's really freeing for me. Like I, you know, it almost feels like, uh, even if I have work to do, it almost feels like a relief, but I keep routines every single day 
So whenever things get out of control or it's haywire, I just know the next day I gotta get them to do the same thing. Um, mm. And I really think that helps keep me um, in focus. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious why 4.30, because I know that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Tim Ferriss, are you, are you, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim yeah, Ferriss. Yeah, familiar, yeah. Sure. Yeah, he talks about, <laughs> he talks about that, um, that magic hour of people who succeed. It's like they wake up around 4.30 <laughs> at 6. It's like, I... I have, I'm not there yet at 4.30, but I get it. Cause it's like, for me, if I wake up that early, it's like a sense of, like, a peace and a peace, sense yeah. of like calm. Like, cause yep. it's, I don't know. It's something very tranquil um, that during that time you can just, I'm gonna almost think clearly. So I'm, yeah. like, I'm curious, like, were you always at 4.30 or it took you some so, time? So <laughs> I've always been an early riser, but I think it, it, it's kind of creeped down over the years. You know, it used to be, 6 30 and then 6 and then 5 30 and then that wasn't enough so i got up at five because i wanted and, and you know totally honest you me it was always about i wanted more time to myself so it, you know and it's hard when the alarm goes off at 4 30 it's not easy every single day i don't jump out of bed you know something uh, <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i don't feel like doing this but you know i think it always became something about you know i looked at it as like i need more time for myself like i want more time to exercise i want more time to think i want more time to do this so it always became an earlier thing for me. So I, you know, I think that's how I got pushed so early. So there was no real method to it except that. It always just became like a. But you said, I think you hit it on the head. It's so it's peaceful, and yeah. and, and and I don't. I mean, it doesn't have to be the mornings for everybody. It could be some people think better at night. Some people, you yeah. know, stay up late and they think better at night. I think it just you have to choose what works for you. But I, I think in the morning I'm at peace and I think clearly. Um, and it really, really works. For, it really, really works for me. And I, and it's just a matter of figuring out what time of day works for you. You know, if, yeah. you, if you came to me at three o'clock in the afternoon, at that point, I'm useless for about an hour. Like I hit that lull and I got to get through it. So, you know, it's just, it's a matter of finding, finding your time. And I think the morning just works. For me. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so when you're dealing with um, like say couples, you know, and um, when they're purchasing a home, like, you know, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people do over and over again sure i think the biggest thing i, I see people is um two biggest mistakes are one they're in, impatience you know <laughs> when you start looking for a home you know it, it's gonna the price you started that's not gonna be the price you finished at where you thought you were gonna live is not gonna be it's, it's gonna be a compromise at some point unless you have millions of millions of dollars it's gonna be a compromise at some point so i think you have to be patient to find the property you want and that could take a year or two or three it could take a long time but mm -hmm. if you're patient, you'll find the right property. I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is people get very, very emotional about properties that aren't theirs. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it pushes them into making bad decisions. So, you know, I think that too, just, you know, realize when you're looking at something that, uh, you know, real estate should be, in my opinion, should almost always be looked at as a long-term investment. Because if you look at real estate over time, it long, if you stayed in real estate long-term, and I'm proof in the pudding because I, I you know, the properties I owned in 2007, 2008, were worth 40% of what they were now. And I owned them before that. So I lost a lot of money, but they came back, you know, to, to a reasonable amount. So I think if you stay in real estate long-term as an investment purpose, you'll always be able to make on it. So I think that's, you know, you have to look at it a few different ways, but you know, patience and, and not being emotional are probably the two biggest things that I've seen uh, people make mistakes with. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it drives me to my next question. Uh, Cause I, as a coach, you know, I see, <clears throat> Uh, a lot of mistakes when couples go and do things like, you know, purchase a home, like, 
like they aren't on the same page of <laughs> what it is that they want in a relationship and it's always one person driving the other of like i want this this way no i want this this that way so i'm i'm just curious of like how often you run into couples dealing with their own personal issues that come out when it comes to yeah. purchasing a home I, I think you had I, mean, I think finances will bring out the worst in your relationship like no matter what's going on you know I think money will always be and and I I have some personal experience with it you know I, I looking for homes with my my wife um she's does has no vision when it comes to that she just doesn't she admittedly has no vision so anything that needs work she's like you know she she pretends like she would be interested in it, but she's <laughs> out immediately on it so you know so it, it becomes a, a kind of a back and forth it's like if we buy something brand new, we're going to overpay. If we do some work, but I think you just have to come to a middle ground, um, which is you know, which is where I, I and, and that takes patience. And that's that's where when I bought my first home with her, um, and I owned properties before that by moment, but I, my but my first home with her, it ended up being a compromise. It wasn't brand new, but it wasn't old. It didn't need work, but it did, you know, so we ended up finding. But the, the way we compromised is it took a long time. You know, mm-hmm. we, we looked for twelve months before we really got, got something we came to an agreement on. So I think. You know, it goes back to being patient to find the right property that works for both of you because, again, it's a long-term investment. If one person's unhappy in the home about where they're living, you know, that's a hard thing to get past. And that can, that can be more damaging to your relationship down the road. Mm. So, I, you know, I think with that, just patience and coming up with some kind of compromise because it has to be some kind of compromise or, you know, it, it will create problems long-term. So, like, so when you're in a situation, like, what are some things that couples can do and sit down and have a conversation? Like, what is, what does that kind of conversation look like to come to a middle ground? Sure. You know, I think with that, I, I go through, like, old school pen and paper, um, <laughs> you know, wants and needs. You know what I mean? What are our wants and what are our needs for both sides? See where those match up and see where you, you know, see where you can kind of go there. And, and, a pot, and, and then when I get to a property positive and negative for this property. You know, I think if, if for both people, if they're writing that down or putting that, however they're doing it, and the negatives outweigh the positives, whatever, then it's a pass. No matter how much that one person wants a property, then it's gotta be a pass because it ha- it really has to be a compromise, you know, with commuting and schools and shopping and, and, and you know, and social life. Like there's a yeah. lot that goes into buying a home. You know, it's, it's more than just the property you live in because you could buy the most beautiful house in the whole entire world and live in the middle of nowhere and be completely unhappy. Right. Or, or you could, you know, as people who live in New York or, or major cities now, you could live in 500 square feet and be completely happy because you're not there. For, you know, living in some of the, I grew up in New York and I lived in New York City for a long time. And living in New York City is a, always a compromise. It's always a comp- compromise. You're never going to get the amount of space you want. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be in the perfect block. Like it's always going to be some kind of compromise. So I, I think that. Um, you know, you just have to figure out how you both can come to an understanding along those lines. And I always do that positives and negatives, you know, the positives overall have to outweigh the negatives for both of them. Hmm. Now I see why, like you, you say you can't get emotionally attached to a home because (laughs) obviously it will cause conflicts between the two and you just have to. It just sounds like like this is a, a business transaction. If you keep a business and like get, keep be emotionally attached to it, then you can hopefully, <laughs> you know, yeah, but, m- move past yeah. it. You know, um, <laughs> for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I know you're running low on time. So no, okay. Um, so what other advice that you like? 
Like, say if I, like me as a single person, wanted to buy a home, I have no idea where to start. Like, so how does how does one even, other than like going to the Zello, like what other options sure. do you look for a real estate investor? Like, like how how does one start to look for a home? So I think for the most, for, importantly, if, if you're looking for yourself, um, you know, people c- concerned about interest rates and this and that. The most important thing when you're looking for yourself is a payment you're going to be comfortable with. Okay. So, th- th- you know, that, that that's the first thing you should even ask yourself. It's like, what am I comfortable paying every single month? Well, I'm paying $2,000. If I really, really sacrifice because I want to own a home, I'll, I can pay $3,000 a month. All right. Then it's a matter of, you know, then speaking to a f- somebody about financing, about getting a loan first. It's always should be first. And go to them and say, hey, um, this is what payment I'm looking for every single month. This is the area I want to look in. Can you tell me how much I can spend? Mm-hmm. And they'll come back to you and say, hey, you, you, you're able to spend about $500,000 for your wants and needs. And I think that's back to being important. Like, what do you want and what do you need? So, you know, I think that's the first way we would start. And then, all right, well, I know I can spend $500,000. This is the neighborhood I'm looking in. If I look in this neighborhood, um, this is what I'm going to get for that much money. Well, maybe I need to start looking at other neighborhoods, but that's not, that's not going to fit what, what my needs are. So, you know, those, those are the first few steps I would always take into finding something. But, you know, a, a, a mortgage payment or even rent, whatever it is, can be very, very stressful if you take on too much. You know, I've always, what I've learned through losing and, and all that stuff is that um, I, I, I feel a lot more comfortable when I have money in the bank. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, and, you know, sometimes sometimes that's a compromise with yourself. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going through it right now, to be honest with you. Like, I'm looking to upgrade my house. Um you know, not because I have to, because I want more room. I just want more room. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, it, it, you know, but I'm very, very comfortable where my mortgage payment is right now. So, uh, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, it's even a compromise with yourself. What are you willing to sacrifice to do it? And I think that's a question we'll have to ask ourselves. You know, if you're looking for properties for investment purposes, um, you know, it, it, that goes back to the same thing. You know, what is, what is your investment strategy? Do you want it to be short term? where you're going to buy properties and try to flip them quickly, or do you want it to be a long-term strategy where you're going to hold properties um, for the appreciation of the property and, and, and collect the positive rent every single month on the property? I think for beginner investors, a long-term strategy is always better hmm. because when you, when you try to get into a short-term strategy and, and flipping homes and, and buying and selling stuff quick has become very, very popular. But the problem with that is, is that there's people that have been doing it for years and years and years and years, and they're sharks. Mm. So now you're a new beginner coming to the market thinking, you, you, right, I got to figure it out. I'll go buy this property and I'll flip it. And you, you know, you, there's some stuff you're going to be missing. So right. if you started for the long-term strategy, we, we're willing to buy a property and keep it long-term, you can work the mistakes out on your own because it's really, really a lot harder to make a, a huge financial mistake if you can, if you plan on keeping it long term, mm. if you can afford it and you plan on keeping it long term, there's a lot more room to make mistakes and not really hurt yourself financially. If you make a, re- a mistake on a short term investment, you will hurt yourself financially and possibly take yourself out of the game. So, mm. you know, I think it's deciding who you want to be as an investor and then picking a smart strategy that fits kind of you know where your financial status is. Yeah, and I'm curious. You, I mean, two things. One. How do you recognize sharks? Sharks, I guess that's the term because I, yeah, my first boyfriend, he got ripped. I don't know if he got ripped off, but like he he was going to buy a home. He bought, had put a bid down. He lost like on two places, lost ten thousand dollars. I was like, wow. <laughs> and so, what like, happened? how yeah. do you, like, how do you avoid it? How do you know? How do you avoid that kind of loss? Like he didn't get approved for their property and he lost 
ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that in that situation, he got someone who definitely gave him just just gave him bad advice. So, you know, two things. You know, there's so much research you can do online at this point about real estate agents. Uh, if you're looking for a property for yourself, between Zillow and Street Easy and all these other places, there's a ton of reviews for some people. So, you know, find somebody that for two two. And here's the other thing too. There's always new real estate agents, and I have no problems with a real estate agent, but they're going to be as experienced as as, as as long as they've been in the business. So, you know, find somebody for your first property that um, knows the area you're looking in, has experience, can back it up for reviews or credibility through a referral, and use that for the first person. Because, you know, and also you want somebody who's going to dedicate a certain amount of time to you. If it's somebody who's the best agent in the whole entire world that's going to give you no time, you know, it'd be great if you get Ryan Serhant to sell you a property, but Ryan Serhant's not going to have time for you because he's, you know, so it's a matter of finding the person that's going to give you the right amount of time with the right amount of experience to point you in the right direction Mm. first. And again, there's enough information online to do it. As far as being an investor and buying in, and what I always suggest to people is try to find somebody for the first property that that has experience that you can go partners with on it. It lessens your risk. It, and, and and choosing that is is not easy either. You got to find somebody yeah. who's going to do the right thing as a partner. So you know, it's it just a matter of vetting these people out as much as you possibly can. But I will tell you this: real estate and mortgages, wherever you're from, is not the biggest business in the whole entire world. It's a small enough business. If you ask around enough, you'll get the right answers. If you look around enough, you'll get the right answers. And mm-hmm. it's just really a matter of finding somebody you have comfortability with that can be backed up by facts and not just backed up by they're selling you a dream. You know? Yeah. Wow. And I'm, I'm also curious, like, um, what lessons have you learned from the mistakes you made, like when you first started be, becoming a real estate investor? Um, so, so the, the first thing is, is exactly that, not, not to be impulsive and to, to really have, have a, what's my strategy and how am I going to stick to it? And, you know, my strategy has really become more of being a long-term investor than, than a flipper. And the reason, and this is from, I'm in the business 18 years. And the reason I don't like to flip properties is because, my business, my job is not flipping properties. I invest for personal reasons and I'm, I am a real estate investor, but it's not my job. There's guys mm. out there that it's their job. They do it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and they do it every single day. I want to be able to compete on the highest level, no matter what I'm doing. So, mm. you know, for me to do that against them, I'm going to be at a disadvantage because they're, they, they have much more training because they're doing it every single day. They can see things that I'm not going to be right. able to see. So I stay away from short-term investments for my purposes. I'm more of a long-term investor because I can figure out enough long term where, where, where I can make it really work for me, you know, financially. Um, you know, so so even for my and that goes to somebody who's looking to just get into it. Like even for me, who I'm in the business and I have the connections and I have the network. I, sometimes I don't want to compete with those guys. You know, I want to <laughs> just I want I want to play I want to play in a, a raid. And I may be a little bit gun shy because of what I went through, but you know, I want to make good decisions that are educated and not impulsive when it comes to real estate. So I think um, I play as safe as I can. And you know, just try to make an educated decision that I, I can't make. I don't mind that it's going to be a slow. I don't mind slow growth. Hmm. I, I what I mind is is the the a chance of a large a large loss because it was it was really a risky investment. Hmm. Wow. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So no um, coming to the end. So have a couple of questions to see sure. what comes up for you. So what does a life of love means to you? I think a life of love is being passionate about whatever you, whatever you're doing every single day. And, you know, for me, um, this, you know, for my life right now, it's my family my children, you know, are, are a big part of my, of my everyday activities. Obviously my family's big part of my everyday activities. Um, and be, and, and love, and love what you do every single day. Now, you know, I don't love mortgages and real estate every single day. You know, <laughs> I'm not like I'm in love with it, but <laughs> I've got my, I, I worked hard enough at this point 
to get up and do something I like every single day um, around my business. You know, so I, I get I, I do a lot of business development. I do a lot of speaking. I, you know, I, I work my business to a position where I can do things I want within my business. So I think no matter what you do, you don't have to look at your, jo- your job as a as an albatross, something around you. You know, it, it, it could be it could be positive as long as you love it and you have to find a way to love it. You know, and maybe loving it is doing what you have to do now so you can do what you want to do later on. Maybe yeah. loving it is. Yeah, so I think it just being passionate, being passionate about what I do every single day is really, really important to me. Um, so, you know, I think that's what love means to me. Mm. So how do you disrupt yourself every day? How do you disrupt the pattern of going back to your old ways? And how do you, how do you disrupt yourself and keep focus? I I think for me, and, um, this goes back to being very competitive in general, but I'm trying to improve every single day as a person, you know, whatever I'm doing, if I'm running, I want to be faster today than I was yesterday. If I'm working, I want to be better at than I was yesterday. So I think trying to be better every single day is one way. And the other thing that I really learned about myself is that as I work on more and more new projects, as my network gets bigger and I have access to work on more and more things, and I, I feel very blessed about that, mm-hmm. that um, whenever I get to a point where I thought I had a really good idea and I put a lot of work into it and I get to the point where it's like, um, yeah, this feels way uncomfortable and this feels like, uh, why am I doing this? I should just, this isn't <laughs> going to work. I should just quit. I, at that very moment that now I know that I'm on to something because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's somehow scaring me or making me uncomfortable. And at that point is when I know I have to push through. It's like that kind of that fight or fleet, you know, thought in your yeah. brain, like, what do I do at this point? And when I, as soon as I feel uncomfortable, I know that I'm really on to something and I have to push through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that's what I think to do to disrupt myself every single day that you almost take on things that scare you every single day or yeah. that make you nervous. And, and listen, it may work. It may not. Everything. I'm not a hundred percent. You know, I, I fail a lot too, but I, I completed it. And if I had I get faced with that again, then it's never going to be as hard as it was the last time. And I kind of, um, resort back to athletics on a lot of things, but I look, I look at it as almost like running a marathon, you mm-hmm. know, kind of once you ran a marathon, everything after that's going to be easy. Like if I have to run a five mile race after I ran a marathon and my brain, I'm just like, well, I already ran a marathon. How hard could this be? I ran 26. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can run five, you know? So yeah. I, I, you know, so no matter what I'm doing, I'm trying to make it so it's something that I, you know, mentally makes me stronger. And I think mental strength is, is the most important thing we can all have. Yeah. It's like, then you can hope you have a, a greater capacity to do more things, be where people than the other little things just, just, doesn't seem as daunting. You can delegate yeah. those things to the people you do because you you've been there. You can teach and you can give the I guess the small things to other people so you can just keep focused on the long run. Yeah, um, I think that's what even, even what you said to me is powerful. That you know you started this new. You're, you're leading. You're coaching. You're teaching, and it's you know it's it's a lot. It's new, but you know the, as, as soon as you get through this it'll make you more powerful in so many other areas of your life <laughs> it makes you a better leader you know it, anything that anything that i've ever gotten that was good never came easy so i think if you're doing something hard also that's challenging i think it makes you a better person and it's worth it yeah i you know i get it just sometimes when you get going through it, it doesn't... yeah it's not yeah it's not good I, that, that i completely understand like believe me i completely understand um so um that's true uh, what are some of the, the biggest lessons you learn from being a father? That's good. You know, so, it's, so the first lesson I know is I don't know anything and I'm learning as I go, you know, every single day is a, is a new challenge, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's happened subconsciously that I didn't realize it was happening, but it really has made me a lot more patient, um, which I, which I really, really needed. I don't have the most patience in the world and it's made me a lot <laughs> more patient. So I think 
having patience in general in life makes you a much better person, better leader, better everything, because it keeps you calm and it keeps you centered and it keeps you kind of focused on what's right. So I think if anything, that that's what it's taught me. And, and, and also, you know, it's given me a greater purpose on a daily basis. Mm. Um, that I want to, that I really, really, really want to set the right example. Like I'm very concerned on a daily basis in my brain. My brain is very much occupied with, am I setting the right example for my kids? Am I giving them something to follow? And that goes along with, um, you know, I want them to grow up, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot and, and they're growing up with a lot more than I am, but I want them to have the same kind of work ethic that my father instilled in me because it's made me the person I am in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard balance. So, you know, I think just patience and and just really trying to set a good example every single day for somebody to follow is, is made me even me much better as a person mm. wow that's uh that's really beautiful um i'm Thank curious you. um how has that made you a better leader like i mean just because i know leadership means different things to different people and there's sure. different leadership in the world right now that people don't agree with so i'm just like curious of like how what does leadership mean to you and, and how What's important to you as being a leader of your own company? Uh, you know, I, I what I with over the last five or six years, you know, what's really come to forefront. I don't know if this is I'm getting a little bit older and I had kids and it's making me more thoughtful. But um, you know, what what really I want every single day is I want to inspire people mm-hmm. and I want to build a community. Um, you know, I want to build something that's bigger than me that's gonna that's gonna last that people want to be part of. Uh, you know, I you know being. I don't want to be, you know, I don't even on social media, like I do a lot of social media, but it's not because I want to be the cool kid of the crowd. It's because I really want to try to uh, be transparent to help build community. Make so I impact. think more than anything, yeah, make it, I, re- I want to make an impact more than anything. You know what? I got to ask the question on, a, on um, a podcast recently about gentrification. And I have like a complicated relationship with gentrification being from New York because I understand the good of it, but there's also a lot of bad to it too. And, and so it's, it's twofold and, I, and I, I see both sides of it, but when somebody had said something to me, like I, and I answered the question and, but after, after I, I left, I, uh, I really reflected back on my answer and I really wasn't happy with it because I didn't really, there was no substance behind it. And I, and I don't think I'd ever thought uh, like, what am I doing to change this? So, you know, I'm starting an initiative now, um, based around my real estate disruptor brand and all this stuff, but it's going to be really more of a community outreach program. And I want, I'm going to, I'm planning on and starting in September, getting into the schools, starting in high school, into college and educating people on how to invest in real estate early, buy real estate early, work in real estate early so they can buy up their neighborhoods. So they wow. can buy properties in their neighborhoods because I think the youth um, in these gentrified neighborhoods, they all have the idea they want to be there and, and they know the neighborhood and they want to make it better, but they don't think they have the means. But in my opinion, if a 21-year-old man or woman can take um, $200,000 worth of student loans and they can afford to buy properties at that point, you know, we're, we're taking on financial deficits for our education, but we're not taking on debt that's going to grow our lives. So I really want to get into the communities and teach them how to do this uh, because I think that's my that's my way of giving back and that's my way of kind of um, settling something in my brain that that I'm not really that that uh, clear on. But mm-hmm. I want to help people. I want to educate people so they can really you know get into the neighborhoods and, and, and make an impact. And I think through them, I'll be able to make an impact. Wow, that's awesome. Oh yeah. my God! Like that's just will yeah. give people neighborhood neighbors and I'm sorry neighborhoods a very um, empowerment, like really empowering kids. Because I don't, I, I never got that kind of education when I grew up, and I wish that I knew about even how to get an apartment. I had no idea. Oh yeah, me either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. Uh, and, and you know what the truth of the matter is, is that 
you know, I love having young people around me because they give me so much energy and there's so much ideas and it's a different way of doing things, you know, each generation that comes up. But the truth of the matter is, is that they can do whatever they want. You know, you can, you can get a college degree on YouTube at this point if you really wanted to, really <laughs> sat down. Like there's so much information out there. They can do whatever they want. And I just think that they don't know that it's possible. So I think it's just putting it in their brains that there is access to the stuff and you can do this stuff and it is very, very much possible. And, uh, you know, I get jealous of people that are younger sometimes, not because I don't like aging because I feel like every year has gotten better, but it's because there's so much in front of them. Like there's so much they can do. Like you could be anything we could like, so I really want to try to, to arm them really, really early on. So, uh, you know, we can, we can, we can grow as a community. Mm. Wow. Wow. So last question, what does a juicy love life look like to you? <laughs> right now it's a so juicy love life I, so i'm with my wife um i'm with her for 10 years we're married for seven uh, we're about to be married for seven so mm. you know listen I, I i really enjoy this point um going home on the weekends and spending time um and like on saturdays and sundays and fridays and i really really enjoy going out so i think um you know my letter of love would be um that I really, really enjoy being with my family for the most part. I mean, it was with my, it was my birthday yesterday. I was with my kids for like eight hours. And it, by the eighth hour, I was like, all right, it's time for you guys to go to sleep. Like I'm okay with you guys going to sleep. <laughs> um, but you know, I think it's, it's finding time with my wife to do things that are not just children related and kids related. That's just so we can have our own, you know, our own relationship still. That's not yeah. just fully based around the uh, children. I think that's important too. Uh, and you know, that's a, a work in progress. I'm just, uh, I try to get better at that at, well, every day too, but you know, you know, it's just, uh, that's a work in progress also. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, that's what, you know, you really said something that's really great. Like, um, a lot of people who are a couple, a lot of couples don't understand that there is like a, you're sort of in a three part relationship when you have kids, you have this, this necessary relationship you need with yourself to like take care of yourself and be happy and bring it to your relationship. And then you have the relationship with your your partner that nerd be, needs nurturing and care yeah. and growth. And then you have the relationship with your kids, you know, it's like, so it's th managing three different things, wow. you know, but mainly like your, your mental health and your well being to order sustain your marriage and to sustain the family and the bigger picture. Yeah. I think, I think you, you just said the most important thing. I think that if you're, yourself can keep yourself mentally healthy and centered as much as possible then you're better yeah. used to the people around you i think that when you're unhappy for whatever reason you're unhappy that it, it makes everybody else uh, you know it, it, yeah. unhappy and it, it creates problems so i think you hit it on the head it's just your own mental health is always going to be very very important in that scenario yeah because otherwise if you know it's like what they say in airplane like in case of emergency you must put on your mask first and then the yeah, other yeah yeah <laughs> i like that actually i'm gonna use that yeah. it is true because if you're a mask then it trickles down in the family yeah you're right no yeah. that's actually a really really good point you're right you, you have to be you have to be happy within yourself to, to be able to help anybody else yeah, yeah. you're right that's that's a really good point yeah. Well, thank you, Ralph, for being on the show. And I, I truly, truly appreciate you. Um, and where can people find you online and how can they get in touch with you? If you have any questions about real estate? <laughs> sure. Uh, so my Instagram is best um, for me personally. It's at debug, D-I-B-U-G. Um, and my website is homequalified.com. And there's all kinds of uh, videos and news articles up there about how to be a, a real estate investor or a first time home buyer. Everything that has to do with housing. And you can contact me there. Um, those would be the two best places to get me. Okay. All right, Ralph. So thank you so much for being here. 
And um, yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey guys, so don't forget to subscribe on Instagram at Jimmy Allen and Twitter, simply Jimmy. And don't forget to rate, rate, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for joining me. This is Jimmy Allen with Crazy Juicy Love.